0: Episode of the Power of Perspective podcast. Join host Stephen and his special guest Gerard as they delve into the intriguing world of spine health. Gerard, a renowned spine expert from Spine Health and Back Pain Clinic, shares his wealth of knowledge and sheds light on various aspects of spine health, from understanding the fundamentals of spine health to unraveling the mysteries of spinal health and exploring the impact of exercise and life choices. This episode aims to empower listeners with valuable insights to prioritize their. Their spinal well-being.
1: Harry, welcome
0: to the show. How are you doing today?
1: Good morning, uh, Stephen. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm doing very well, thanks.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's great to have you on to share your insights on the on spinal health. Such an important part
1: of anyone's sort of life, right? Absolutely. You know, it's it's some something that you know the spine is a very interesting uh, uh, system. Yeah, that's pretty much the computer of the body. Yeah? it covers and protects the whole uh, computer system of the body and. and you know from the moment we go to bed till we wake up and we go to bed at night again we're either going to traumatize that tissue or we're going to complement it in many ways you know i started uh, my career um firstly you know that go i went through the military ranks the navy i was a physical training instructor in the south african navy and you know so i pushed my body to to its limits and the guys you know, uh, that's been there, you know, you know, the physicality of that. And thereafter, I decided to go and study. I was at Bosch. I'd studied exercise physiology. Uh, and then I went uh, overseas. I, I trained as a physiotherapist. And then after that, I did my postgrad in orthopedic medicine. And then I went further and studied osteopathic medicine, you know. And in my, my years of, of working abroad and, 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 and spending time in the UK, you know, that's where I felt practical purposes stumbled upon a a very well-known professor in the world he's from Canada and uh, you know according to me he's probably the best in the industry of spine research Uh, he's a professor in spine biomechanics you know and looking at how he um, you know uh, research spines uh, in vitro in vivo you know, looking at cadavers and testing spines, looking at tissue failure, trying to understand—you know—why? Why do people have back pain? You know why? Wh- you know, I always say to patients, why? You know, how can we uh, we can send people to the moon? You know, but we we can't cure back pain. It's such a it's such a huge problem in uh, uh, worldwide. You know, and and w- when I started doing research and getting to know more about the, the research that was done by the, these professor, the professor and his team uh, in Canada, it was just a in understanding how spines work, and and also realizing that you know the general public out there, and and not just them, the medical profession don't understand spines. They're promoting uh, the wrong things in terms of spinal health, and therefore I've got a passion. You know, I've got an absolute passion for spines and trying to promote uh, the way that the spine really needs to work, and and how to how you can protect yourself from developing uh, back pain. For example, you know, there's it's not something that if you if you follow the rules of spine health then the chance of developing back pain is is really minute it's a almost
0: very uh, solvable issue right but it's something that impacts so many people you know constantly you'll see hear about people where it's like Yo, oh, my back's just you know thrown out today or oh, I've, oh, I've been having back pain so much and all world is so prevalent you know it'd be really beneficial if you know we could just take charge and get these sort of hindrances outside of our life right
1: you're 100% correct you know the the, the, the norm normally you know with uh, back pain is you know a patient will wake up with back pain and if it doesn't settle within a few days they might end up going to a medical practitioner whether it's a physiotherapist or a, a chiropractor or maybe even the general practitioner you know and and if it if it gets worse they often then will be referred to a, a neurosurgeon, which will do the necessary uh, diagnostical scans and stuff. And then, you know, ultimately, often, uh, you know, if there's something major going on, they will opt for operation, you know. And and a lot of times, majority of times, I mean, research or statistically is, is, is something like 80% of surgeries Should not have happened. Yes, there is cases where operation is needed, you know, depending on what the, what the actual pathology at hand is, et cetera. But the majority of patients could avoid surgery for one. And also, you know, if they understand spines, um, and that's something we're going to discuss today, they won't get back pain, you know, because uh, it's, it's. I always say, you know, a spine is like uh, when you go for a car license, you get a license and there's rules that you have to follow, you know, and when you drive on a road, you um, uh, you got your license. You follow the rules. If you if you break the rules, you're gonna get a fine. You might uh, you, you you know even get arrested. You know, and the spine is the same. If you stick by the rules of spine health, the chance of developing back pain is. It's minute, you know, you, you more likely won't develop. But people uh, follow license, they follow the rules of the road, but they don't follow the rules of the, the spine. And I think it's purely because they don't know it, you know. And that's partly what I'm going to do today is to, in a very much layman's terms, try and explain to the listeners, you know, how the spine works. And, and uh, you know, if you follow the rules you will avoid back pain.
0: Part of this, there's the role of the you know the spinal and the vertebrae themselves. Maybe just give us a, an idea of how those are important elements, and maybe just the basic functions of
1: you know how the spine works. Right. So, you know, when you're looking at a spine in general, uh, for, the, for the people out there, you, you, your spine consists of the obviously the, the lower spine, the lumbar spine, which is the five vertebrae at the bottom, which are quite large in size. And for a reason, because they're sitting right at the bottom where the, they enter the pelvis. And that's uh, where a lot of the weight will go through. So they're much larger. And, and as you go up the spine through the thoracic part, which is the mid spine, that's where the ribs are attached and that's where the lungs are they start getting a bit smaller and as you go towards the neck, you get uh, the cervical or the seven cervical vertebra, which is, you know, much smaller compared to the, the, the thoracics and the lumbus and there's a, a less weight obviously in those areas. But the, the main thing is these uh, vertebrae they protect and cover the spinal cord, the, which is the extension of the pretty much the brain. We call it the central nervous system, which regulates everything. Your organs, um, uh, you know, it's literally in control of everything. So the secret in life really is to understand that you need to protect that uh, brain, or or, 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 you know, that regulates everything, and. I'm of the belief that if you, um, you know, traumatize that area in any mean shape or form, then it will manifest in different ways. It can even compromise, develop all sorts of pathologies if you compromise that area. So the spine in general... The vertebrae there to protect this delicate tissue. And uh and therefore, you know, if you like I explained with a vehicle and, and the license that you get to drive on the roads, if you understand how to manage the spine, then then you will be more likely much healthier in many ways. And also understanding that um, you know, that spine is loaded pretty much twenty-four-seven eh? in many ways. You and so so it's it's all about movement patterns and and if i uh, can explain it to you like this because everything really with the spine and in terms of um, spine health is to understand you know the function of the back what's the function of the spine and most people out there after understanding and i always with my patients ask them what do you think is a good spine a more stiffer spine or a more, a mobile spine. And you know, I would say almost 99.9% of patients is of course a mobile spine. And then I will go and I will say, you know what? What's very interesting is that humans, Walk upright. So we t- we need to take load. Our spines need to take load. If you look in nature like a baboon that runs on its all fours, ne? that spine is almost like in a more horizontal position. Human spine is in a vertical position because it takes load. Now, our research has shown that if you create flexibility in a spine – And specifically in the lumbar spine, what will happen is you will lose loading capacity. So you will increase the risk of tissue trauma and tissue failure. So having a flexible spine and specifically more the lumbar spine, you will more significantly increase the risk of developing back pain. That's the fundamental really. So 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 this is now where we start looking. We know that the spine is there, or the, the vertebrae are there to protect the central nervous system. Now we need to look at okay, so what's the function of the spine? And that's where we come in and we look and we see, but whoa, people are going to the to, to the exercise environment, whether it's a gym or a private gym or out, outdoors, and they do certain motion patterns, movement patterns that's actually changing the structure. In a way that will increase the risk of injury. And that's that's something that's very important, you know, to understand. Um,
0: the spinal health itself, how does that impact your sort of overall mobility, posture and just quality of life, you know, when we are... Period.
1: Well, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of patients, I get a lot of referrals from, from clinicians uh, in my area, you know, with patients that have they've detected uh, visceral problems, whether it's um, prostate problems in men, um, ovarian problems, um, uh, uh, cervical problems, uh, diaphragmatic problems, uh, digestive problems, and a lot of those problems relate to musculoskeletal problems, whether it's uh, malalignments, rotational pelvises, that puts pressure on these specific structures, you know. And what we need to understand is, and this is what I always explain to patients, is that if you compromise the nervous system, so in other words, in the lower back, the nerves that exit through there supply certain muscle groups. Now, when that lower back gets compromised, That will create firing of neural tissue, which stimulates these muscles, and they will contract. They will actually activate and also what we call become hypertonic, almost like going to a type of a spasm. But when they contract, they are responsible for certain functions, i.e., rotation of the pelvis, etc. So this will create the malalignment, and when that malalignment occurs, you throw the whole wheel alignment of the body out. And when that happens. This puts pressure on certain vessels, certain organs, etc. So, you know, one thing leads to the next, next to the next, next leads, uh, leads, uh, leads to the next. And when we correct these structural uh, uh, alignment problems, nee, then we create a real balance or a real alignment, you know, uh, uh, again. So everything is now nice. But if that patient then doesn't follow the rules of the spine, in other words, if he goes back and he, you do a lot of flexion-based movements, et cetera, et cetera. You will just create the same problem, and then the whole pelvis will cr- cr- uh, go back into malalignment. And this is this is what's so you know fundamental about spinal health. You need to go back to basics. Understand, you know how the spine functions, what it what it likes, what it doesn't like. And I and I want to say it's not rocket science. You know, this is why I'm going to explain today how does the layman person the the person out there, the normal person out there, how can he prevent back pain? How can he prevent creating malalignments in his body that will ultimately manifest and create all sorts of problems from, let's say, a visceral perspective, neural compromisation you know, and all sorts of uh, things that that go from there.
0: Yes, there's this almost philosophy or concepts of mobility versus uh, stability and and I think sometimes there's um, confusion yes. or unawareness of the actual importance in you know, the human body of these and what to look out for versus, you know, in other organisms and
1: so on. And maybe
0: put some light on that.
1: Right. Now, now this is very important, man. When we look at the skeleton, we've got two ball and socket joints below the spine. In other words, in this case, the hip joints. Now, they power joints and they've got significant mobility. And we've got two on top of the spine, which is the shoulder joint, the glenohumeral joint, right? Now, there's a reason for that. They're completely different in how they look compared to your vertebrae and the vertebral discs joints where they shape, The intervertebral discs and the intervertebral disc joints there where they mobilize and how they take, they develop to take load. Your hip joints are developed to generate movement. Okay, so that's very important. Now, when we looked at this, and, and this has all been done in research, you know, we've got papers to back this research, etc. When we're looking at the, 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 the lumbar spine, now we talk about the muscles of the core. Né? Everybody nowadays go out there and they say, now I need to do my core exercise. Now, if you look at the function of the muscles surrounding the abdomen area or what we call, let's call it the core muscles, their function is to prevent movement. Not generate move. One, they prevent movement. And therefore, we strengthen them isometrically. Not concentric, eccentrically. We strengthen them isometrically. And their function is to prevent movement. Why? Because we talk of proximal stiffness to create distal athleticism. Right? So they stabilize. If those muscles were trained concentric, eccentric first, and they didn't prevent movement, you will get energy leakage. As kinetic energy travels through the body, you will get a lot of leakage. You lose power, which will decrease your performance. And ultimately, you will end up with tissue trauma. So the core muscles, their function is to create stabilization. Therefore, we train them isometrically. And therefore, we do exercises like planks and side planks, etc. And the hips, on the other hand, are ball and socket joints. They power joints. They need to move. And the average person, when they move, when they squat, when they bend, they bend through the back. They don't bend through the hips, what was developed for that. And therefore, now people will go and say, but I need mobility in my back. I need mobility in my lower back. So what do they actually try and do? They try and create a ball and socket joint in the lumbar spine, for example, in the lower back. But what they don't understand is that that motion, that should actually come from the hip joints. And if you try and change a joint to create another joint, you're in, you'll end up with severe t- tissue trauma. And ultimately, uh, uh, this is what's actually happening in many ways. And in my clinic, if I, you know, just for, as an example, take a patient and I say, you know, I'm going to show you how to bend through your hip joint, not through your knees, because if you're going to bend through your knees, and a lot of patients will say, yeah, I know I have to bend through my knees. No, you will develop osteoarthritis if you do that. You want to bend through the power joint, the hip joint, and 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 they can't do that. They just don't have that ability, that motor pattern to do to do that. You have to literally teach them and teach them how to do that. Um, you know, and what's fascinating, Stephen, if 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 we look at the human and we look in nature, you know, I often say to patients, what animal or creature in nature? Um, functions or spine functions as a ball and socket joint spine in other words remember the humans have got ball and sockets in the hips and shoulders the human has got these intervertebral disc joints in the spine but what animal in nature has got ball and socket joints in his spine in other words he was created to have a lot of movement through the spine now this in this case it's a whale The, the 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 joints in the whale's spine functions as a ball and socket motion purely because that animal uses that spine to generate power and if we take the human and we say let's put uh, ball and socket joints in a human spine it would be the same as trying to stack oranges on top of each other that's hardly impossible unless you put a very stiff pin through there.
0: no in- indeed and so you know also the way almost use the spine and impact the spine you know, back in the day to you know modern times has changed a lot, right? What sort of things, generally, just in modern lifestyle, do people get wrong or that cause
1: this uh, pain issues? And very interesting that you take on there and I'm going to give you this example a few years ago the institute uh, you know that I follow the spine institute um, they went to America and they uh, went to the Navy SEALs uh, training school it was in Texas and these guys have, have had significant back pain you know the, the recruits on the course and um, uh so what they did, I found out that they were doing what they call a 60-second speed setup test. So they they, they said, well, well, this is a problem, eh? You, uh, and I'm, I'll, I'll explain to you a bit later why why these things are so bad for you. But what they did was they said to these guys, half of the recruits for the next six weeks, you only do plank, and the other half will continue with the um, speed setups. When they came back after six weeks and they evaluated these guys, the guys that did the planks had no more back pain. But the guys that continued with the speed, Speed setup tests which is uh, something that the guys has been in the military know you know that's what we do um uh, they had a significant back pain still so then they said well now we're going to compete we're going to use the 60 second speed setup test as a modality and we're going to now compete and see who, which of these two groups does the best and what was very interesting the guys that did the planks completely destroyed these guys on the actual Sit-up test, né? the guys that continue to set ups Now, that was just an ex- indication of, of, of how important core muscles are and, and how you do train them, right? So that was very interesting. And the people out there doesn't understand it. If you go to a gym today, what do you see people doing? Setups, ups crunches. Now you might ask me, so why is that bad? for? Sp-? Well, remember I just said to you, the muscles around the core are tri- strengthened isometrically. That's the first thing to understand. And the second thing is that if you look at a spine in general, the one area you want to protect, which is very, very important, is the intervertebral discs, okay? They've got a nice height when we're young. They consist of layers of collagen, uh, annulus layers, rings around about 30. And inside the central part of the disc, you get a nucleus, a nucleus pulposus, right? Now, this system works like an hydraulic uh, hydraulic system. But what we've known, repetitive flexion movements will over years create delamination. So in other words, if we keep bending the spine, the spine will end up or the disc will end up delaminating. So what will happen? The substance inside will start leaking. And because everything in life we do is almost forward, we bend forward, we pick stuff up forward, we sit in front of our computers with a slight slump, slight flexion in the back. So everything we do is forced. And for that reason, that's why the majority of the This will will eventually create a leakage or a prolapse or a inhalation to the back towards the spinal cord or the nerves waiting at the back. And therefore, flexion or bending is probably the worst enemy of any spine. And the moment we remove that from a patient, the majority of backs, interestingly enough, start healing. So that's why we, well, it's pretty much that, but remember we categorize backs as flexion intolerant. That's the bending intolerance. Backs can become extension intolerant or backs can also be motion intolerant. So movement uh, uh, that, uh, you know, they're they're very sensitive to specific movements, but ultimately, you know, the exercise environment promotes flexion based exercises, you know, and you find it in a gym uh, environment. On a lot of machines, you know, uh, uh, and then obviously body weight exercises and stuff. And it's a simple exercise of stretching your hamstrings in a seated position. Um, Those are things that I personally uh, not recommend. You know, if you do want to stretch a hamstring, for example, then you lie on your back and you bring your leg up so you do not put excessive strain. And, and, And I come back and I say, remember, spines don't get injured in a day. So the patients that come to my clinic, they normally 30 plus. That's the age group. So before your back starts hurting, it's cumulative trauma over time. It can take five to 10 to 15 years. The guys that do get severe back pain and injuries at a younger age, in other words, below 30, they normally guys that lift heavy weights in gyms, you know, and in that environment that they do a lot of weightlifting. That amount of force on their backs those, those are the patients I've seen, you know, that I can almost like put a label on in terms of under the age of 30 that come see me. Guys at 21, 22, 23, you know, they've got these disc damage as a result of that repetitive flexion-based move, And unfortunately, it takes cumulative trauma over time to destroy spines. It's not a, you know... One day you bend down, boof, and that happens. It doesn't work like that.
0: So what uh, what causes the pain itself on a sort of neurological sort of level?
1: Well, uh, there's a combination of things. You might get a patient that come in here that, you know, it just tweaked the muscular tissue, muscle tissue in the spine, you know, um, uh, by doing a wrong bend. But then you can get a patient that... Uh, has got compromisation of the actual disc material inside. That will be some much more severe pain, where he's actually now over time have created a lot of movement, wrong movement, i.e. bending. And therefore the material inside the disc has now started severing or going, uh, creating fissures that goes through these un- uh, uh, annulus rings or layers. And now it's starting to make contact with the neural tissue. And he might classically present with referred pain, whether it's a pain in the buttock. You know, sometimes patients will refer a sciatic pain. You know, it's running down the leg towards the heel. And often back pain presents in the foot or in the toe. The patient don't even experience it in the back. So, you know, there's, there's multiple reasons, uh, you know. It might be a facet problem. You know, uh, these young bowlers. you know, often they get what we call a spondylolisthesis, where there's a fracture of, of part of the vertebra and there's a shift of the vertebra. So there's, there's many different reasons. Often we will, you know, uh, we will see that when you do a diagnostic, whether it's an x-ray, you know, uh, uh, majority of patients, you know, when it's more severe symptoms, et cetera, they will be, the, you know, the medical profession will request MRIs. Because that's probably the, you know, the, the best way of detecting exactly what is, what is actually going on in the spine. Um but yeah, you know, it is very interesting and it's not always easy to detect and make a diagnosis as to exactly you know, what is you know, is it the muscle causing the pain, is it the actual facet joint, is it a capsule, you know, is the disc. But you know, um there's always a reason for pain. You know, we they use a user term in medical field called non specific back pain, you know. There's no such thing as non-specific back pain. If there is back pain, there's always a cause of that. There's a reason why that back is or something is not happy in the spine. And, um, you know, as a clinician, and if you're an experienced clinician, is to try and uh, work out very quickly, you know, what's causing the pain, but also, you know, how to manage this patient. Yes, you can treat them symptomatically with pain relief. Um, but the key is really to remove the factors that's actually resulted in that pain. And in this case, it's the majority of the times faulty motion patterns over time. Um, That's the key really, you know, it's, 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 it's it's how that patient's moving. What's that patient doing? And when I assess patients, I normally will go and I will look at them, you know, to determine what is actually going on. There's four areas where tissue gets traumatized, or in this case, spines gets traumatized is during the sleeping cycle because you spent a third of your day in bed, pretty much seven, eight hours, your work environment, number two, your sport environment, number three, and your home environment, number four. Those are the four areas in your life cycle or in your life where I need to go and look and see where's this patient actually traumatizing. And we can have a look at that just now, but you know, and then from there I can then go and work out. Okay. So we need to remove the hammer that's, traumatizing this patient's spine because, you know, otherwise we treat symptoms. What,
0: what is your process like when someone comes into your practice and they say, ah, I've got some sort of pain, you know, um, it hurts. <laughs> what, what is your sort of problem
1: solving process of determining what's happening? And Right. So firstly, you know, I always say, and, and, and my mentor, you know, always used to say that to, to, to be able to assess the spine properly takes about three hours need to get behind what is actually going on. Yeah. Now you can imagine eh, the average patient going to a specialist, maybe 10, 15 minutes. If you're lucky, you, you know, how much can you work out in 15 minutes? So my time, I normally spend around about an hour with a patient. I first get a detailed history. You know, I, I ask them questions about their lifestyle, their sleeping position, you know, past medical history, um, uh, sport that they're doing, um, uh, occupation, you know, I check everything I need to get in that hour. Firstly, I need to get as much info with this patient as I can possibly. And then once I've got that, then I will do an assessment on this patient. Yeah, I will check. I've got my um, assessment uh, uh, that I normally do with my back pain patients, checking everything, you know, and, and, and you always have to, you know, also understand that. There's a very small percentage of patients you need to, we call it the red flags, where there might be back pain that's not associated with, let's call it a biomechanical problem or musculoskeletal problem. It can be because of a, and I've had those patients in my life because of a metastasis. So that might be a, you know, a patient that, you know, and that's that's outside my scope of practice. And that's where I then need to immediately, you know, refer them to the necessary um, or the, you know the experts on that field So in that field. So when
0: you say that, um, maybe explain a bit more about what the nature that they're struggling with you know, beyond the normal biome.
1: So often it's a patient, one, that doesn't respond when you treat them. Not at all. They don't respond. They've got symptoms that just doesn't make sense. In other words, this patient might come in and say, I've got, you know... There's no pattern in terms of the pain. They might have severe pain at night, or they might have pain at a certain time of, of, of the evening that it just comes on. Nothing makes sense. You know, uh, uh there's no aggravating factors or nothing I do can produce the pain. The pain has got a mind of its own. Um, and then <clears throat> sometimes you, you know, there's certain symptoms that that patient might experience whether it's not sweats, you know, um, uh, but, but, yeah, it's, it normally just doesn't match the criteria of what I would expect from a normal pain. You know, it's it's, it's those type of patients you have a big question, mark. Like, what's going on here? Because it's just, I haven't dealt with this before. You know, and that's normally the patient that you you then, you know, have to maybe send, well, you have to send for further investigations, you know. And, 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 and so it's, it's it is, a, you know, there's numerous things that, that just doesn't add up. And just ticks the box. So so you as a clinician, you always have to keep that in the back, ne? Always have to keep that in the back. And then of course you've got your your classic type of core equina patient, you know. And then as a back pain, clinician you always have to firstly check whether there's any disturbance in the bowel and the bladder habits you know because obviously neural tissue that comp- uh, that controls that part of the body you know if that's under pressure you know that's that's one of the few reasons why it's sometimes um, you know uh, justification for immediate surgery uh, because the specialists in that regard will have to then you know go in and take pressure of that neural tissue Um, so those are you know that's a example of of, of a patient that you know where surgery might be the only option, you know, to go in and they need to get in there quickly. So that's where the experts in that area, your neurosurgeons and, and spine specialists will then go in and the surgical route, you know. It yeah. doesn't happen that often, you know, but but that's always one of the first questions as a back pain specialist or you, you have to ask, you know, uh, if there's any problem in terms of that area.
0: And is it always physical or is there a mental component to it?
1: That's a very good question, and definitely. I think that uh, emotional well-being of a patient, you know, the stress levels. That's like an amplifier on the central nervous system. Eh? And we do know uh, the nervous system needs to rest. And, you know, if your nervous system doesn't rest and people doesn't sleep well, you know, uh, the nervous system becomes hypersensitive. And therefore, uh, you know, it can amplify pain there's central sensitization there's this you know and that sometimes a patient is very difficult to treat as well so that's often where you have to get other professionals in there as well and work as a team together you know uh, whether it's a psychologist or a or a life coach or a, you know uh, other professionals that again you know that's that's let's say qualified in that part of it but yeah uh, you know the psychological component emotional component always plays a role and as a clinician it's also important to try and detect you know that when you work with patients and, and that's something you gain with a lot of patient mileage you know um that you might uh, pick up a certain personality and you 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 know this patient will be you know how much of their pain is actually physical pain and how much of this pain is actually coming from underlying problems where they it is, um, you know, problems in their marriage or in their relationship or, you know, other, other areas.
0: And uh, you mentioned uh, sleep. Is that quite an important factor in reducing or avoiding pain? Yes. I, I, well,
1: firstly, it's, it's it's the position of sleep. Yeah? That plays a vital role. You know, um, we always recommend um You know, for a patient when they're on on their back, back sleeping, that they put pillows under their knees, you know. uh, And for for, for the simple reason that we want to take pressure off the lower back, you know, take a bit of pressure off the, you know, uh, by... Uh, creating uh, or removing pressure from the hip flexors from a positional perspective and and side sleeping, you know, a pillow between the legs. Again, that is purely to try and create an environment from a biomechanical perspective that will help that tissue to just have minimal pressure uh, uh, on it during the sleep cycle. Um, My experience is that the worst backs I've treated, uh, a lot of these patients have the one thing in common that they're abdominal sleepers. So they sleep on their stomach and backs don't like That you know, it's it's just uh, you know uh, something, and unfortunately, it's uh, something that's difficult to change. You know, when when patient comes in, they said I've been sleeping on my stomach for thirty years. You know, how do you change it? You know, it's very difficult. But yes, so position is very important, and then obviously. To try and get good sleep from that, that, which I've mentioned previously, that the nervous system can rest and become less sensitive, you know, and not so sensitive pain. So, so yeah, that's very important. But for, for me as a clinician, it's more about you making sure that they have the correct body position during the night, you know. And back pain patients in general will also tell you that if I sleep like this or like this, if I sleep on my left side, I've got pain if I sleep on my right side, I've got pain, you know, and often it's because of the position of the spine during the night, you know, often when you're a left side sleeper, then uh, the left side will open up and you'll compress the right side. So if there is a pathology or a compromisation on the right side of the spine, then that patient will normally not like sleeping on the left side and vice versa. It doesn't work like that always. But this is just, you know, examples of how biomechanics also, you know, work uh, or affect the the position of the spine when you're sleeping. And so this
0: is a good example of um, posture, but, you know, in more general, maybe just let's discuss, you know, posture, its importance, and what sort of, you know, common um, problems people are doing by bad posture (laughs) that um, it's
1: creating all these problems right yes you know the, the big thing is out there nowadays is that the technology has moved towards the direction where everybody's spending time in front of a laptop or a, or a, a, a desktop you know so the first thing is that your posture is purely compromised by poor ergonomics because you know uh, average person spends a third of their day you know in front of a computer sitting in a position that The body doesn't really like, you know, Um, so they will end up with a kyphosis, rounded shoulders, and the one affects the next affects the next, you know. Um, So, and then what happens when you go into what we call a forward curve of the the mid-back because of sitting in front of a computer, that spine will become hypomobile, or what we call stiff. And, and this you don't want. Why don't you want the mid-spine to really become very stiff? Because that's where your lungs are sitting. That's where you want mobility so that your lungs can breathe properly. You can open up. So now this starts to compromise your posture. Um, and then obviously with the technology, mobile phones, everybody uses these phones, texting, looking down, flex position. So all this technology that we're using is actually... You know, starting to uh, compromise the body. Now, you might say, yeah, if you do it for one day, it's not going to do, but people well don't do it. People do it for day after day after day, year after year after year. So what we as clinicians need to look at now is, is ergonomics, né? Is, is, is we're moving towards stand-up desks so that we can get a patient in an upright position, we remove flexion or bending from the spine, which happens when you're in the sitting position. So these are all things that we bring into play now because remember, if we don't remove that, then... then we're not going to be able to really be effective in treating these patients. So uh, a posture plays a vital role on this uh, central nervous system, né? because the spine wasn't designed to curl up and bend like that and stay like that for hours. Uh, you know, I always say in, in the old days, you know, we used to hunt for our food. The men who used to run, eh, we were running after our food. And today we're all static sitting, uh, um, you know, and, and it's just completely destroying our postures.
0: And so... Sitting and uh, even standing posture. What are sort of key things to think about when trying to, you know, do that effectively?
1: Well, the first thing is obviously it's the line of gravity, your center of gravity. Né? We've got a, a midline or plumb line that goes to the side of the body to try and align everything. It's about energy efficiency. So uh, uh, we do know that if you know uh, if you move away from that central line, then uh, you're putting significant pressure on the muscular tissue because I have to work so much harder to try and keep one, the head on the shoulders. Otherwise, if the head protrudes forward, shoulders protrudes forward, then we, you know, it's something like two and a half centimeter of anterior shift and the weight of the head doubles on the shoulders. Um, and those muscles have to work significantly harder. So the key really is to open the chest, draw the chin back into a neutral line and, um, you know, to try and maintain that position and also create more movement through the thoracics or in other words, through the mid-spine. Uh, and, and then in combination with that, have a strong lower spine, eh? a stables, a lumbar spine. Um, you know, and this all comes back into doing the correct exercises. To have a good posture, you need to have the a weaponry for that. Eh? You need to make sure you're doing the right exercises again to strengthen at the bottom and to move, create movement we you in the mid-spine and then to open the shoulders and to lengthen the muscles of the chest. So it's, you know, it's a combination of things that needs to be done because if your chest muscles are very tight, you're going to create a forward rotation of the shoulders. And therefore, you know, even if you try and correct your posture by yourself, the muscles will just draw it back in. So that's where we come and we say we strengthen what's weak and we lengthen what is tight and then with that, uh, we focus on correcting the alignment and getting that center of gravity, you know, right in the middle of the body. And there is, you know, uh, as a clinician, that's what I normally look at when I do the actual physical uh, examination and the observation of the patient in standing, is to see exactly, and then we can correct them. Because most patients, you know, they only when you correct them, that's when they become aware of actually, wow, my posture is, is not that good.
0: And if you... Had to describe the perfect posture for uh, maybe we do standing and separate. We do sitting and standing separately in terms of looking. You know, uh, feet. You know, then you know legs. You know, going up the body. Like, what what does that look like to you?
1: Well, in an ideal world, nee, uh, uh, Again, as I, if I go back to the shoulder function, you want the we normally use this, uh, a line from a, what we call a side view uh, that if I draw a straight line then it will go straight through the trachis, right through the ear, midline of the shoulders, down the hip, just slightly behind the the, the, the knee joint and towards the malleola of the ankle. Now that, you know, if I visualize that line on a patient, that gives me an indication as to what is the correct posture and where is he deviating, where is he moving out of that. Um, one has to take into consideration the the morphology, you know, uh, uh, body weight, size, uh, you know, are they ectomorph, mesomorph, endomorph? So, so, you know, it's 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 a difficult one to, you know, to explain to you in terms of unless I actually visualise this. I mean, it's 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 you know the stand, the standard posture from standing wise is in just a general upright position, open the chest, you know, almost like embracing the world, hugging the world. Uh, with seated position is the same thing. It's it's, an upright sitting position. eh? Uh, We use the ergonomic sitting position where patients got 90 degree bent at the knee joint, 90 degree at the hip area, you know, with an upright body position, 90 degree at the elbow stuck in the side with a straight lumbar spine eh? or lower back. That's a seated position. Um, In terms of the upright position, it works pretty much on the same. You want to be in a straight upright run with an open chest, uh, because the as a, as I say, when the neck protrudes forward, it compromises that. Shoulders. If the shoulders protrude forward, it compromises the neck, you know, and and that will compromise shoulder function. And and always, what happens with that, uh, uh, it will compromise the lower back. The lower back will be affected by the thoracic spine. So the, you know, the one affects the other. It's the ankle is connected to the knee, and the knee is connected to the hip. You know, they all work together. So it, it's very important. You know, posture is, plays a vital role. But you also you need the ammunition, you need the strength, the muscle strength to be able to to get yourself in the correct posture.
0: And to the, the listeners if you're to give movements that are so movements that are easy to sort of remove or change lifestyle changes that an individual can do in order to you know improve their spine health what are some key and easy ways i can you know make small changes to have a big impact on
1: my life right first thing is uh, the moment you get out of bed Roll on your side, sit sideways out of bed. That's number one. Do not sit straight up out of bed. Okay. Just roll on your side and sit sideways out of bed. That's the first one. So you remove flexion from that. That's already removing flexion 750 times a year, pretty much on average. Then the next thing is when you go and brush your teeth, use a glass don't bend forward, rinse your mouth by opening the tap and doing that. Cause that again is 750 times of flexion a year on that back. That's the second one. When you put your shoes on, cross your ankle on your knee, keep your back straight. When you put that shoes on, do not bend forward. If you do pick your shoes up, then lunge or squat with white legs with a straight back. Again, that's on average 750 times a year. So now you've got, you've already just by those, Uh, three areas you've already moved or removed two and a half thousand almost times of bending of the spine per year and then from when you from from that position when you go out into the house when you you know load the dishwasher you load the uh, washing machine you know you either squat or you lunge with a straight spine You see, now you're starting to change the way the spine does. Spines don't like flexion. You know, they don't like that bending repetitively because that will compromise the disc. If you did it once or twice a day in your whole life, they will tolerate that. But cumulative trauma over time, that's what happens with spines. So now, you and that's just in your home environment. Your sport environment, remove flexion from your sport exercise and leave it for where it's due. If you're a kite surfer, yes, the wind's going to flow you up in the air and you're going to bend the back and stuff. You can't do anything about that. But your preconditioning, you do not want flexion in your program. No sit ups, no crunches, no things we don't do because they're traumatizing the back. If you stress the hamstrings, on your back. You know, now you start looking at those things, you think, whoa, okay. And then when you're at the office, if you don't have a stand-up test, try and sit upright, use a lumbar support to keep your spine as straight as possible. And then when you're driving your vehicle, sit upright and ideally use a lumbar support. In other words, a little cushion in the back or roll a little hand-up towel that you put behind your back. That just keeps your spine nice and straight and in an ideal environment you know i always say to patients you know as we age 50 plus you know you don't really want to drive a low vehicle anymore because backs don't like ideally a bit higher vehicle uh you know those are basic things that you know if you follow that it will take significant pressure off your spine
0: and so if you have sort of muscle strain or injury can that impact spine and the way you should look after your spine I've broken my arm and uh, that might affect how I, you know, go through my day-to-day life and movements and so on.
1: Yeah, look, uh, you know, injuries in general, uh, whether it's a a, a lower limb problem, whether it's upper limb problem, you know, the rules for the spine stays the same. Uh, You know, don't compromise your spine because of an injury, because what will happen, you will ultimately end up with you know with a let's say in this case with a back problem as a result you know i often see it not so much with fractures but more with lower limb injuries you know whether it's a fracture of an ankle or a patient is in in, on walking on crutches you know now they're starting to change the way they walk they compensate and as a result of that that will manifest in many ways creating problems in the lower kinetic chain but more so in in the hips and the and the lower back and uh So one has to be very careful with that, you know, because if you start traumatizing the spine by, you know, partial weight bearing, for example, or using crutches because you've got an injury, then what will ultimately happen, you know, if you now sit incorrectly or you bend incorrectly, that tissue is already under pressure and that will just push it into becoming uh, symptomatic. So, so, so the key is really that, you know, you should always apply the spine health, doesn't matter what injury you've, don't forget about that spine because you now have a broken leg or a broken arm or a, you know, uh, injury to the neck. It's very important, you know, that you should always respect the spine and, and, and that should be the key really in terms of everything that you do, you know. Um,
0: have a good relationship with your spine. And the spine itself, you know, the body is quite a complex sort of organism and there's a lot of interconnectivity and, you know, a certain part of our system will affect other parts. Um, how, do, how does the kind of, it all sort of inter, interlock um, in the body?
1: Well, you know, as I said right in the beginning, the central nervous system regulates everything and the body is a very complicated system. It's a very, very complicated The engineer that manufactured, you know, the system or built the system uh, must be unbelievable because, you know, every part of the body, you need a specialist, you know, whether you need a a dermatologist for the skin, cardiologist for the heart, urologist for the plumbing part, you know, there's a specialist for every part of the body. It's very complicated. But at the end of the day, the nervous system is regulating everything and therefore You can only do so much, yes. You might develop a neurological condition or disease or something that's compromising the central nervous system. Now, often a lot of those type of things might be out of our control, you know, but what is in our control is how we move because according to how we move, we're going to compromise this nervous system that will compromise whatever it regulates and it regulates everything. So you see how crucial it is to understand that as, a, as an individual, the way I move from the moment I get into bed till the moment I get out of bed will compromise, you know, everything in my system for good or for bad. And um, and this is very, this is very uh, important to understand. I always have the saying that we are on one side and our spines are on the other side. And what you want is not necessarily what your spine wants. And you need to bring them in line with each other so that your spine and you understand this is what we want for the body. And that's very important because, uh, you know, as I say, uh, the nervous system is at the end of the day in control of everything. And it's a complicated system. Half of the stuff we don't know, more than half, we don't understand and we don't know. But what we do know is that if we move correctly, so therefore you'll often hear people saying, but movement is health. No, movement is not health. Correct movement is health. So either you're going to complement your spine in the way you move, or you're going to compromise your spine in the way you move. So choose your exercises very carefully. Choose your sport very carefully, because either going to comp- it's either going to promote your health or it's going to harm your health. And it's not necessarily immediately. It can take 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And that's why I always say to patients when they're young, I say, choose that sport now. But make sure, because the secret in life is to age healthy. When you get 60, 65, you retire. You don't want to have pain and aches and and all sorts of things. You want to enjoy life. So therefore, choose your sport wisely. And you you
0: mentioned um, exercise. Maybe let's go through how the role of exercise in maintaining spinal health
1: right so so this is very important you know um firstly as i said we want if i look from my clinical experience if i look at a patient what do i want for that patient one i want stability in the lower back right and i want mo- bit movement in the mid spine that's really w- what i want most spines have the reverse they've got stiffness in the middle back and the, and too much movement in the lower back and as I said to you right in the beginning, that if you create movement in the lower back, you're losing lower uh, loading capacity. And therefore, you will increase tissue trauma. So for me, that's the fundamentals. I when I assess a patient, I want good movement in the hip joints, the like ball and socket joints, because if the hips aren't moving well, the, the lower back's going to pay the price. Because movement will come from the lower back. So so that's very important in terms of exercises to first to make sure this is what I want with this patient. Now we're going to say, right, so what exercises are out there, you know, and without stepping on people's foot or toes, ne, as a clinician, in my experience, there's certain sports that I think, yo that puts a lot of trauma on the spine. We know if you go into a run from a from a walk, you get about three times body weight <laughs> through L4, L5. That's the lower lumbar vertebrae. That's a lot. If average person weighs, say, 70 kilos, that's about 210 kilos during the running cycle that pounds through those lower two segments. Are you helping that spine? Are you compromising that spine? You know, that's that's what I always ask. So from that perspective, if you do want to be a runner, if you like running, make sure you've got a stable lower back, a strong lower back that will be able, the armor will be able to tolerate that load. So you want stiffness in there, not mobility. Because if you create mobility in the gym when you're a runner, you're going to be in trouble because you're not going to have the loading capacity or the tolerance capacity to take that load, and you'll ultimately end up with tissue trauma. Make sure you've got the armor on so that you can tolerate the type of sport that you're dealing with. That's very important. And
0: in terms of sort of um, exercises, uh, do you have one you could uh, recommend as easy takeaways to promote uh, spinal health?
1: Well, the, the, the gold standard exercises that we've tested and that's the fundamentals of spine health and, and conditioning is, is is the number one is the plank, the side plank, the what we call the all four opposite arm and leg hold where you hold that for 10 seconds in that position. You sweep, you come back, you go back into that position, right? Those are the fundamentals to start activating the muscles surrounding the spine to stabilize. But what's very important When we look at these exercises, if you do them incorrectly, in other words, what will happen if you do a plank, say for 60 seconds? A lot of people say, yeah, I'm doing my planks. I'm doing it a minute, two or three or four minutes. I have to ask the question, why you want to do it for two minutes or three minutes? Those muscles, we've tested these and we know that they contract and what will happen, the capillaries that runs through there will be compressed by those muscles and you'll become ischemic and the back often can start hurting. So, The way we try and strengthen the spine, for example, the core muscles and stabilizing it through, say, for example, a plank or a side plank, is to do shorter intervals or shorter times, i.e. 15, 20 seconds, maybe pushing to 30 seconds, but do more uh, sets of these. So you might do five sets of 30-second plank or five sets of 20-second plank. Same with your side plank. So move away from holding it for long periods of time. Bring it down to shorter periods but more repetitions or sets. Okay, so that's that's very important in terms of that. And then the opposite arm and leg, very much the same, it's an isometric. So you can see all these exercises are isometrical. Then we've got an exercise called the gill lift, where you put your hands under your lower back, you've got one leg straight, one knee bent, and you come up, elbows off, and you come up. Now, the reason your hands is under your lower back is to prevent what we call lumbar flexion. Because we've just said, you know, your back doesn't like flexion. And that uh, supports your spine, and that creates an isometric contraction of the muscles surrounding the core. And that's very important. And when you're looking at uh, you know the abdominal muscles, they probably one of the most important muscles during these training regimes is, is the chondratus lumborum. Not so much the transverse abdominis. A lot of patients, the transverse is in a way is absent. There's a sleeve around that area. So, you know, it's, it's about targeting those areas. But uh, those are the, I would say, the four gold standard ones. And then in the gym, when you're implementing exercises, you know, it's about modifying, removing the flexion-based move. A lot of patients will ask me and they say, but you say my back shouldn't bend when I exercise. Then I can't do anything. I says, no. Most exercises you can do. It's just the way that you do it. You know, that's, that's the key. Yes, a concept two rower. If you do it incorrectly, you're going to traumatize your back. But if you do it correctly it's a very good exercise but it's all about technique it's all about body position so
0: how do you choose the the right sport? you know that can support the spine and reduce risks and uh, injuries
1: well firstly you know my number one sport is walking that's probably the best out there is walking it's a safe environment, and you can get, with a nice brisk walk, you can get very good exercise if you swing your arms, you're engaging the muscles around the spine, and you, you know it's, it's probably the best exercise, f- according to me. Uh, second one is swimming. Swimming is a fantastic sport. You know you can do it till you're 90, 95. It's uh, normally non-weight-pairing environment, so it's a very, very uh, 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 second you know, in combination with walking. Um, when we're looking at other sports, and I deal with sports from from uh, rock climbers to kite surfers to surfers to runners to cyclists, to you know, we're going to go and we're going to analyze those sports and we have to say, what's this patient's spine, you know, what's the body position like of this patient? And, and uh, Stephen, I can give you this example of a patient uh, I saw a while back that was up for surgery and we managed to... You know, avoid surgery and she's doing fantastic at the moment. But this patient, to give you an example, is now a parachute jumper. She jumps out of airplanes and she's done over 120 jumps and she was up for surgery on her back. She's never had surgery. She's got no pain, but if she gets on a bicycle and she cycles on a bike, her pain is almost immediately there. Now, you might think, gee, you can jump out of an airplane and you don't have any back issues, but when you're on a bike. So, this is where I want to come in and I can. You know, I can show you that most people, when they cycle, they're in a slight flexion-based motion. But if she goes and she puts a brace on, she stabilizes the spine, she's upright, and she focuses on very much a good posture, she's got no back pain. So, you know, it's, it's, it's again, you know, every sport has to be molded differently. Um, there is sports like, uh, I can take an example of a patient of mine that was subbing, you know, the stand-up paddling. Um, he's a very tall guy and his back just couldn't take it. And there was just no ways he could change his technique to facilitate the, the whole movement. Ultimately he stopped doing the sport. So it's very much individually. Um, and that's often where, you know, uh, I do get patients that just say, I'm not going to stop running. I'm not going to stop this. I'm not going to stop that. I want I love that sport too much. Look, at the end of the day, it's your body and you know, we can modify the exercises in a way so you can do that sport. But I always say you're preconditioning, you know, for that sport. If you do it correctly, your body might have the ability to tolerate it when you're actually competing in that specific sport. But it's uh, that, that's the you know that that's uh, uh, coming back to it. My number one sport is walking. My number two sport is is, is swimming. You know, I can probably falls falls into uh, walking as well. And then, obviously, the ones that I often see with back issues are your cyclists, your runners, uh, your squash players, your racket sport players. You know, a lot of bending, lunging, etc. Those type of patients I see often in my in 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 my clinic. But it's about you know, it's it's all about preconditioning for that sport and then changing your technique. Golfers, I see golfers as well, but also it's because of these faulty techniques and stuff and. You know if you correct the technique i've got golfers that come back and they play again and they don't have back pain but they need to follow the rules that we lay down for them in terms of their technique you know because it it is all about biomechanics about how you need to keep your body when you're performing that specific sport
0: and so bright examples of you know sports and activities that are very good at you know promoting these important things like you know core strength you know, proper body mechanics and the right types of flexibility. Like, what are good ones for you?
1: You, you know, that's it's, 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 it's a, a catch-21 or catch-22, you know, because uh, there is modalities out there that, that a lot of people are doing that actually, uh, in my books, you know, and I don't really want to go into it in detail, but it's actually compromising the spine. You know, uh, as as a lot of there is modalities that promote flexibility. There's primalities that modalities that promote stability, but uh, the grounds on which they do it is incorrect. You know, uh, 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 purely because if you look at the science, you look at the research out there of how a spine functions, they don't follow that protocol. And therefore I get a lot of patients from those specific modalities that come to me and say, I've tried that. I said, I must go and do that because I've got back pain. And actually my back's worse since I've done that. Yeah. So, you know, it's very individualistic. So that's where I, unfortunately almost want to go. And that's why patients come see me because they've been out there. They've tried everything. So unfortunately I can't say to you, there's one specific modality that's going to promote this. If I, have to say to you, there's a, the safest modality that will help you a lot. And I'll come back to my number one is walking, but then I must say this rules as well, walking, if you have got a certain capacity in your spine, a tolerance capacity, and you exceed the distance that your spine will tolerate when you walk, you will end up with back pain. What does that mean? It means that if your spine starts hurting after 20 minutes of walking, Do not walk for 20 minutes. Walk for 15 minutes. But don't do it twice or three times a day. So ultimately, you actually have done 45 minutes, but your spine doesn't know that. Your spine is focused on that. So you do it three times a day for a week. And a week later, you might go 20 minutes. And I'll tell you, after 20 minutes, you'll walk, and you'll say, I don't feel pain now, because you build the capacity, the endurance capacity of those uh, muscles. And the spine will tolerate that. So, you know... I'll come back and I say, there isn't a specific modality. The safest modality for patients is walking. Walk within the spine's capacity. What you want, I want to walk an hour, my spine want to walk 20 minutes. Don't go and walk an hour because that's not what your spine wants. Meet your spine. But do it, say, two or three times a day. That's how we rehab spines. That's how we train spines. And with
0: um, spinal health and um, even just how the body works, are there any other sort of misconceptions that you think are quite big that um come up a lot
1: i think a uh, majority of patients you know in my experience when they've got back pain they get treated by modalities purely because you know this is a modality i've got and i'm going to treat you with this okay and that shouldn't be the case i don't i don't feel that You know, when you've got back pain, the clinician should, one, do a proper assessment, get a proper diagnosis as to what he thinks is the the cause of your pain, and remove the cause of your pain. In other words, if it's a, which most back pain patients, it's as a result of the wrong type of motions or move. That clinician should identify that, explain that to the patient. The patient should take responsibility for that. Be compliant and say, "Okay, I'm going to remove that," because as a clinician, and I always say that, on average, say 10% of what I do is effective. 90% of what the patient is going to do when they go back home is what's going to create healing. You know, it's very easy for me to do a use electrotherapy on a patient. It's very easy for me to use a needling on a. It's very easy for me to do an adjustment. An adjustment takes me a uh, five seconds. I can teach anybody to use needles probably in a day, electrotherapy also in a day. But that, that ultimately at the end of the day, whatever modality you use, you need to first remove what hurts it. If you don't remove the hammer, you're treating symptomatically. That tissue will become inflamed. It will stay inflamed. When the patient walks out the door, you know, they, they, don't, they haven't been treated. So as a clinician, that's the key really, you know, is to to identify what is this patient's problem. Do they have a flexion intolerant spine? Is it extension intolerant? You know, what are they actually doing that's compromising their health, compromising their spine? Because if the patient, if you can identify that, the patient can take responsibility for that, remove that, and they will get better. Yes, you're gonna get patients that does not want to take responsibility. There's a lot of patients that comes and they want a quick fix. Just sort me out, just adjust me, or just, you know, just fix me. Now, from my clinical experience, those are patients that will keep, they probably will move from clinician to clinician, you know, um, but because back pain, like I say, is not a thing that just happened today. It's something that's building up over years of doing the wrong movement patterns. You know, and if you identify that, That's and you can explain safe, that to a patient. Yes, your, your best patient is your compliant patient that takes responsibility for the problem, for the pain. And they, and they seek to get answers as to why this area is painful. And that is, that, is, that is very important. You know, as a clinician, when you start in your career, you want to save every patient. And then you get to a stage where you realize, but not every patient wants to be saved you know, relative to pain that not every patient wants to get better. They want you to try and fix them. And if you can't fix them, you know, and, and with spines, that is the case. You know, the moment that patient walks out there, they are loading that spine. Are they going to load it in the way that they're supposed to? Are they going to load it in the way they're not supposed to? In other words, are they following the rules on the road? They got that license, or are they going to break the rules on the road? They're going to reap the benefits if they follow the rules, if they break the rules, they're going to pay the price.
0: If you're uh, struggling with, um, you know, back and spinal pain, what are your, your options um, to, to, to solve this when you're, when you're thinking about, you know, how do I tackle this? As, as an individual, Yeah, I'm just like, do I see this, this type of person? Do I get this? Do I implement this habit? Like what kind of are the good options to to focus on and
1: you know, many um experts or, or medical professionals out there, you know, uh physiotherapists, chiropractors. Um if it's serious back pain, you know, uh, with neurological symptoms, often patients will go to the general practitioner which will then refer them to a neurosurgeon. Uh often might be a neurologist. So there's many medical professionals out there that you can, you can go to for treatment. I would say with any back pain patient, you know, what you need to understand is if you've injured your back, you know, is it an acute problem? Is it something that's now happened a week ago, three days ago? Is it something that's been, uh, you know, uh, there for 30 years? I recall when I was practicing in the UK, I had a patient that, came to me and when I asked this lady, you know, if you had back pain, she says, yes. And I said, how long for? And she said, for 30 years, you know, and I, I had 20 minutes to help her, you know? So, so you have to determine how long has my pain been here? Is it been here for a, for a day, for a year, for, for 10 years? Because, you know, depending how long it is, that's how probably it will respond to the type of modality or the clinician that's going to intervene. Uh, don't wait too long when you've got back pain. Don't, wait three weeks now i'm going to go to the clinician you know rather if, if if it's if you don't get back pain and suddenly you've got back pain i would recommend that you go and see your clinician asap there's many clinicians that treat back pain and ultimately it's the listener or the person outside you know uh, i always say you know you're going to go to a surgeon are you going to go to the best surgeon are you going to go to a dentist are you going to go to the best dentist or a dentist that you know of that you heard of that this is a very good thing and the same in spines go to somebody with a reputation now with social media you can literally just put somebody's name on there and you're going to see what their ratings are and and that normally speaks for itself i always say word of mouth is the best way you know if you want a good spine clinician or somebody that knows about spines or back pain Ask around, and the same name normally will come up all the time.
0: So let's um, move towards whether a surgery, um, a topic that's come up a few times now, is is the right option. Um, what are the you know misconceptions around surgery as a solution um, for spinal conditions?
1: Well, the first thing you need to understand is 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 you know once you've gone for surgery, you can't reverse whatever's happened there. So I always say to patients that should be your last resort when everything else has failed. And a lot of surgeons out there, good surgeons will also tell you, you will only come to me if you crawl inside my practice with the amount of pain that you didn't have. And it must be pain and all other measures has failed. Then that might be enough justification for me to operate because surgery is one is the last resort. Um, I've seen in practice, like I say to you, many patients, hundreds of patients that's prevented surgery by implementing good spine health, which they didn't do before. In other words, they came to me. I've looked at them. I see, but this patient's been to so many clinicians, but they've never identified the problem. This is the problem. And therefore, the moment we remove the problem, the tissue heals. So, you know. Surgery cannot be removed. Once you've gone there, you can't change it. That's the first thing. And a lot of patients that have surgery ends up with another operation and another operator. Um, that's the first thing. The other thing is, you know, MRI scans doesn't always tell us everything. Why? If you go outside there and you look at MRIs and you look at spines, they're normally done in a lying position, not in a compressive loading position. In other words, not in an upright position. And if you've seen MRIs where they compare a lying position with a standing position with the same patient, you see things completely different. And as my mentor have told me, you know, on many occasions, if you look at an MRI or the radiologist interprets that MRI, you can see a lot of stuff on there, but you don't often know which one happened when. So there might be an old lesion that's actually the problem. And there might be a newer lesion that looks worse, but might not be the cause of the symptoms. So that's often why when they do a block and they go for the area that doesn't look well on the scan, the patient will come out and say, but am not better. So it's like pulling a tooth and you've missed the rotten tooth. You pulled a, a tooth. That's not the one that's causing the pain. So, From that perspective, look, there's always a time for surgery and I've got a lot of respect for the surgeons, you know, but it should always be the last resort. Everything else should be. And my experience when patients come to me that's been to all the medical experts, what I address, they've never addressed. In other words, the patients have been treated symptomatically. The problem, the cause, the biomechanical cause have never been addressed. Now you if you don't if you don't identify the cause and you remove the cause, in other words, if you get a hammer and you keep on hitting your finger with a hammer, it's going to keep on getting sore, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. if you don't remove the hammer, your your tissue won't heal. And this is the problem. The clinicians do not remove the hammer. You need to identify what's the hammer and remove that.
0: And the circumstances where surgery might be, you know, necessary and beneficial.
1: Well, first thing, as I said to you previously, when the patient presents with cola equina syndrome, in other words, when there is bowel and bladder say incontinence or there is massive problems there, that's when they need to be referred immediately so that they can do the necessary scans. And then if needed, they'll go into surgery to, to to take pressure off that neural tissue. Because if they do not, that patient will probably end up with a back. They'll lose that function. Okay? So so that is uh you know that's that, that's one of the probably first reasons why op- operation will be. Obviously if there is let's say a uh, tumors In the spine, that's compromising the patient in such a way and they know that that is actually the cause of the patient's pain. The surgeon might, you know, decide that that's, that's, you know, justification. So there's often if there's solid structures or that compromises the tissue that they'll be able to get in and remove because they're not going to go anywhere else. You know, they're not going to change. We can't biomechanically do anything so it's, it's it's very much individual and it depends on what is actually you know the cause of the problem um and can we biomechanically and through corrective movement patterns and stabilization and stuff alleviate that if the answer is no if there's severe neural compromisation in other words nothing we can do can take pressure off that nerve that might be justification for going in there and either doing a laminectomy, a But we always want to try and, you know, let everything fail before we end up with surgery. So it's, it's very individual and it depends exactly on that specific. But as I said to you before, I think statistically it's now 80% plus of surgery should never have happened. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's,
0: it's crazy that maybe it's sort of a, a knowledge gap or all the misconceptions where, you know, everyone just you know, rushes to surgery, takes such drastic measures. And you know, a lot of people aren't very aware of kind of the basics of taking care of the spine. Lifestyle changes. A yeah.
1: hundred percent, Stephen. You know, and I've got respect for a lot of surgeons. There's a lot of surgeons out there has to stand that you earn your surgery. You're going to have to earn your surgery. I'm not going to operate on you just by because, you know, that's a quick fix. And I've got so much respect for those surgeons because they say to the patient, you're going to earn the surgery. Go and do everything that you're supposed to do. And if it fails, then you come back to me. So, uh, but you're 100% correct. You know, the lifestyle changes. You know, if you follow the rules, the chance of you ever ending there is, you know, very slim.
0: Can you share um, one or or more sort of, success stories um that you've sort of experienced in your time you know practicing and that might you know inspire or you know bring nice light to the the field and implementing these things
1: you know i've I've, uh, recently i'm just thinking of one lady that came to me and she was crying of back pain and um you know she's a mum, three kids homeschooling you know, and obviously a lot of flexion movements and stuff, you know, and she was in a lot of pain and she came to me and I explained to her, you know, first sat her down, got the history. And then, you know, immediately identified that she had a flexion intolerance uh, and a whole, whole life consists of bending, you know, when she works with her kids at school, she bends down, you know, leaning over helping them, you know, she does housework, vacuuming, all that stuff. And, Uh, You know, and then I said to her, look, this is what's going on with you. And she looked at me like this and she said, but it can't be. That's so simple, you know. And I said to her, but yeah, this is what's going on with you. You, you, You're hammering your spine every day, every hour. And your pain will never go away unless you change the habits of this is how you do it. This is how you do it. Because your spine doesn't like it. You know, and and about two weeks, she came back to me for a follow-up. And she was crying again. And when she walked in and she cried, I was like, oh no, what what was going on? And she's, you know, as she cried, she started smiling. And I'm like, I asked her, you know, I said, so what's wrong? And she's nothing is wrong. She said, I've got about 80% of my pain is gone. And I said, so what did you do? And she said to me, just what you did. Just what you said to me, I must do. I must stop bending the spine of mine. It doesn't like it. You know, and it was uh, that's just one example, you know, I had another lady, you know, that came to me and this is not, you know, not complicated response, but she was 80 years old. She's a very this, uh, well-known writer in the world who passed away recently to so a sister. And you know, she also had back pain, but she said, I don't do anything. I'm retired. And you know, I said, so what do you do? And she said, well, I only make my bed in the morning. And the rest of the day, I'm sitting watching TV and stuff. And I said, but can you show me? And she showed me how she did it. And I said, well, that's the problem. Your back doesn't tolerate that bending movement. And I said, can you please maybe get somebody to help you, you know, to do that? So you don't have to do that move. And a few weeks went past and she came back to me and she looked at me and she said, I don't understand. And I'm like, what? You don't understand. And she said, I don't understand. You didn't touch me. You told me to stop doing that and that. And I don't have any more pain. And I was, yes, Because that was the hammer that hit your spine. We've removed that. Now, not all backs are so straightforward and easy to, you know, but where I'm going is we need to identify. And therefore you need to listen to the patient. Listen to what the patient's lifestyle is about. What does this patient do? Because a lot of patients out there, they go out there and they think I must go and do this, do this, do this. This is helping my spine. This is helping my body. And then maybe at night they'll be in severe pain. And you know, just don't understand that. So that's just example of, 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 some, I'll, I'll tell you a quick one, uh, uh, one patient as well. I mentioned this patient earlier. This just somebody that also stick with me as, as, as in my thoughts. Now it's, is this lady that also were ready for surgery and she was in her mid thirties and she came to see me with her husband and they were very scared because obviously, you know, you hear surgery, you know, alarm bells came off and, and I said, Stan, I said to her, yes, you're not a candidate for surgery. And, um, and I assessed and I said, yes, this is a flexion tolerance spine. And you know, when I started going through her history and sports and everything she does, it was just absolutely, you know, red lights all over what she was doing. You know, she was just doing everything wrong. And I said to her, you know, one, you're not a candidate for surgery, but secondly, you're doing everything your back doesn't like. So we removed all that stuff. We created, uh, provided her with stabilization exercises. And then, um, you know, she came back about three weeks late, and she said to me, "It's unbelievable how better, how much better I am." You know, um, I've got significantly less pain. It just feels the back's getting better every day. Ultimately, she had no more pain, and then about a month went past. She phoned me and she came back to me and she said, yes, I don't understand the pain's back." And I said, "No, no, no, you're doing something wrong." And she said, "I'm not. I'm doing everything right." And you know, I started talking to her, and I said, "Why did you do?" Two days ago before the pain started. She said, I did not nothing. Saturday, I did nothing. Sunday, only thing I did Sunday, I was doing homework with my girls. I said, so where? She said, we were sitting on the on the floor doing homework. And I said, there's your problem. The moment you sit, your back goes into flexion. You've got a flexion intolerance spine. Your back did not like that. And the husband looked at her and said, but you've done that. You were sitting there for two hours. In any case, she looked at me and like... She said, but I I tend to sit like that often. I said, but your back doesn't like that. So she went home, stopped doing that, and about four or five days later phoned me and said the pain is completely gone. I've got no more pain. So where I'm going with this is, again, you know, these patients, we identified their problem, we removed that from their life, and they live a a life without anymore. And, And that's the key as a clinician, you know, is to spend time with your patient, listen to your patient, and, you know, you can provide them with all the armor.
0: And so we've um, sort of gone over common sort of things that people kind of get wrong. But it might be good to kind of walk through bending and, um, you know, to, to reach low places and, you know, picking up heavy objects. Um, you know, these are pretty common commonplace in day-to-day life, you know. And what what would your sort of recommended way to, to engage in, in these two common Activities.
1: I'm not a big uh, uh, I'm not very much a stand uh, a, a front standard for, for, for things like the standard shoulder width squat purely because of the morphology of the hip né, uh, the back will go into a flexion based movement very quickly so I'm very much for suma squat that wide stone squat now I often say to patients when they do these type of squats in the gym and the lunges and stuff I say so if you go to the shopping mall do you ever go in there and do squats those type of suma squats and lunges for the people so they can see you can do that. And they say, no. I say, so why are you doing that in the gym? And they say, well, I just do it because it's part of my exercise. I says, no, those are functional exercises. If you can develop a good suma squat technique in the gym, you will apply that now at home. So when you pick something up at on the floor, you go into a Suma squat, squat stance and you pick it up with a good technique. So there's no trauma to your back. The same with a lunge. You can lunge and pick something up. Rather than... You know, bending with your spine. So, 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 so that's how you're implementing these exercises at home. Um, you know, often when you're using a broom, what do people do? They just bend forward, and because brooms, mops, all these uh, equipment, household equipment, they've got a awkward length. They're almost too short. Therefore, what do you do if it's too short? You bend your hips. Don't bend your back to to sweep. And this is what people do wrong. They bend with their Backs, your hips, as I said, it's the mobility, it's the power joint, the mobile joint. This joint was designed for that, but we don't use it correctly. So overall, when you're at home, use your squat, your sumo squat, use your lunge, bend with your hips. When you have to load the dishwasher, lunge down or go into a sumo squat position. Alternative as what I've done with my house I built, all my equipment are high level, because I just don't understand why people today's time still put all those machines on the bottom so that you can repetitively bend your back and you end up with back pain eventually. So that's the simplest way. But unfortunately, a lot of people are already in their houses and the machines are already at the bottom. So therefore, you need to change your body position when you go and you remove those those things. If you go to the toilet, I would say, make sure you don't, you know, when people go and sit on a toilet, what do they do? They just bend their backs, ney? Walk till you're against the toilet and squat with a straight spine. That's very important. And when you sit up, the same thing. When you brush your teeth, put a glass there by the basin. So you always have a glass. You can rinse your mouth with a glass. So you don't have to bend your back when you rinse your mouth. You know, this is this is all little techniques you can do around your household. That you that you and, and, and if you're in the garden and you love gardening, a lot of people love gardening. Go on your all force when you're pulling out weeds and all that stuff. Don't go and sit on your you know, bend your knees and bend your back and sit in your, on, 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 on your heel pretty much and, and, and try and do that with your haunches. And, and um, yeah,
0: so some solutions sort of that people in kind of working life have, you know, implemented are, you know, better you know, ergonomics, so better chairs, better standing desks. When, you know, choosing a, a chair and um, when, you know, cha- implementing a standing desk routine... What are the things you should uh, keep in mind?
1: Well, you know, firstly, uh, you know, I often get asked by patients, you know, what is the best chair to use? Or, uh, you know, well, firstly, you know, you don't need an expensive chair. It's not about the chair. It's, it's, it's if you use it correctly, a lot of people don't use the lumbar support on chairs. So ergonomics, yeah, it's, it's important to set it correctly correctly. Um, uh, You know, without being too technical, there's elastic energy in the system. And therefore, depending on the morphology, in other words, depending on the body type that you've got and the elasticity in that system, you know, one patient, it might be better for him to stand for 30 minutes on a stand-up test and then sit for 30 minutes. The next patient might do 45, sitting, 15, standing. So it just depends on the type of body type, but you know, ultimately you can have the best ergonomics. If you don't use it correctly, uh, you know, it's not going to have be of any benefit to you. Um, so I always say, you know, in general, I would say if you if you do have a system where you've got a, a stand up desk that can slide up and down, you know, and you can go sit stand, then a good rule is to maybe start with a. 40 minutes sets, 20 minutes stand, and alternate between those. You don't want to stand for eight hours a day. Your back's not going to like that, but your back's not going to like sitting for eight hours. So you want to change it around between the two. And, 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 and also what I always recommend the patients to do is, if you can, after half an hour, just stand up, just for one or two minutes. Just centralize that nucleus in the discs and then sit down. The same as when you go on long drives. If you do a four hour drive, don't drive for four hours stop every hour walk around the car for two three minutes get in go again that's that takes so much pressure off your spine off your back and
0: are there other sort of modern solutions or tools that one can sort of use and get hold of to help with these uh avoid these potential issues in future
1: We've now mentioned the stand-up desk. We talk about the ergonomic setup in terms of your your laptop screen and all those things. You know, for a lot of patients using a a, a, a mobile phone often at the desk. You know. That's where you can get the speaker, you know, where you've got a phone that's already. So you don't need to hold the phone on the side, which will change your posture. Um, for vehicles, obviously, you get lumbar support nowadays that you can put in the car for your back. Uh, you get sleeping pillows, for example, when you're sleeping that uh, uh, you can put between your legs. One, I've seen a pillow the other day that they've uh, brought out, which you can... Strap around your one leg so that if you rotate in bed, the pillow doesn't fall out; stays there. So there's a lot of devices out there that makes it easier for us um, or helps us. The 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 key is again, spine off. You need to you need to try and look at everything. Yes, ergonomics that's a one component. Get that right. Get the exercise regime right. Um, But also, your motion patterns, get your correct motion patterns right. In other words, move correctly. Know what your back now likes and what your back doesn't like. Because, uh, uh, you know, with all of this, we're getting, uh, they promote, people promote a lot of mobility for spines out there. And, you know, therefore, that's why the, the general public believes that spines need to be very mobile. And, um, unfortunately you know as a clinician dealing with back pain patients every day it's not that you know uh and and i think that's key that's one of the things if patients start realizing you know if we can just change their mindset so they can understand you know i always explain it um that if you build a house and you put a mobile foundation on that house you're gonna have trouble no builder will put mobile mobile foundation under a house That needs to be solid so it can take the load. And that's the same with your spine, really.
0: Is there any other um, lessons learned or pieces of advice you'd love to share with the listeners?
1: Well, you've got one spine. There, you've got one spine. And it's a very complicated system. But if you look after it and you follow the basic rules, the basic rules of the spine, which means that the spine doesn't tolerate a lot of bending. The hips were developed to do the bending. The spine likes to be in a happy, neutral position. If you follow that and you minimize bending of the spine, let the bending happen at the hips. Teach yourself to bend at the hips and not at the spine. Your risk of any or of experiencing back pain is minute. And if you've ever have experienced back pain, you know what it is what it's about. And patients that I've seen, a lot of patients with severe back pain, they will go on morphine. Eh? One patient told me a while back that she's she given natural birth to three babies and that didn't compare to the pain she was in, you know, back was. So to avoid ever experiencing that, just follow the basic rules. Your lower lumbar spine likes stiffness, strength. So avoid bending where possible of the spine use their hips.
0: And identifying the sort of spinal health not being in the, a great spot. So you know, the obvious is I've got back pain and I think you mentioned that sometimes people have feet are sore when it's actually related to the spine. What are sort of common um, things to look out for that may actually be indicating spinal issues that some might not think is the case initially?
1: You know, uh, uh, the most common is, is, is when you develop any pain around the limb or the lower limb, the foot, the heel, midfoot, or altered sensations, and you've not had any trauma. In other words, there wasn't a brick that fell on your foot or you didn't fall off a horse. Yeah? But suddenly you start experiencing these symptoms, whether it's a numbness, whether it's a pins and needles, a tingling. Then you must start being aware that there's something maybe going on in my back. Um, so that's uh, there's no real cause so i.e. you've had some form of injury but you started experiencing either some neurological symptoms, some tingling, pins and needles, some numbness, you know burning sensation around the lower extremity, then you must suspect that something is going on in my lower back. Uh, If you notice the limb length discrepancy that's one of the first signs I know that a patient's got something going on in the lower back it might be five, ten years later we experience that, but when I see a pelvic torsion, I immediately notice that there is something not happy in that back. And um, so, yes, uh, those are the type of things that you need to look out for.
0: And so, to wrap up the the show, anything you'd like more you'd like to say to the listeners? Uh, this is just an open an open mic.
1: <laughs> I would really like to just say that you know when it comes to spines. You know, I always say that the clinician, you know, and my patients has come see me, you know, I spend, a, I spend a good hour with them, you know, understanding it's as a clinician, it's about, for me, it's about quality, not quantity, not about numbers. Um, I take time with my patients. I want to listen, you know, it's not about a thousand patients emailing me saying you've, you've really helped me so much. It's that one that I can't fix. And, you know, with the years of working with backs and treating spines, and what I teach my kids is that correct movement patterns will ensure that you ultimately will get old without any pain. So choose your activities, choose your sport wisely. Don't do a sport because everybody else is doing it or my friends is doing it. You know, when, when you work in our industry and you deal with injuries day in and day out and spine problems, you start seeing patterns on different um, activities, different sports, modalities. So realize that we all are gonna get older and tissue gets frayer, more sensitive as we age, and you can preserve your tissue by choosing the correct activity, sport, movement patterns. But if the foundation is correct, in other words, if you move correctly, if you do the basics right, now you will promote health, and longevity and you will ensure that your tissue has got the capacity to tolerate whatever load you're going to be putting through that and if you're not sure about what activities you know and uh, modalities to choose and w- your morphology will it tolerate this and this and this if you're a very hypermobile patient in other words you're very supple will you is it wise to go and do a modality that promotes a lot of flexibility probably not you will go for something that's going to create stability And if you're not sure, you're welcome to contact us at Spine Health to come in for an assessment. We see a lot of patients that don't have pain, that just, you know, just want to come see us because they've heard of us and, you know, they want an assessment. And uh, so you're welcome to come and see us and, you know, we're happy to help you and, and ensure that you will have a pain-free life.
0: And so, are there any resources um, you'd recommend to, to folks at home? Are very useful, informative, and just you know, great tools to know about. I know you you guys have a website, for instance. So, you know, anything like that?
1: Yeah, we. I mean, we do have a website uh, wwwspine spine um, We've got some information on there. You know, the listeners can can go on to, and they can get some information specifically on there and <clears throat> they're also welcome to email me if there's any specific questions you know i always try and get you know reply to them all it might not be immediately it might take a day off you, and that's at the wc osteopathy at gmail.com and then you know um i'm also happy to to share uh, backfitpro.com that's my um let's call it mentor which i rate as probably the best in the world on spine research um and spine biomechanics they can get a lot of information on there you know in articles as to research on exercise and you know what to do what not to do etc Oh,
0: cool. hey, well it was a real pleasure to have you on the show and yeah thanks for coming on oh it's a pleasure thank you so much steven until next time take care of your spine embrace a healthy lifestyle and keep seeking knowledge.